Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we'll be reading from Genesis 29 and 30, where Jacob finds a wife and ends up with more than he bargained for when he comes out on the other end of deceit this time. This story is drama at its height. If it was a reality show, your parents would not let you watch it. It's a story of love and heartache, a story of competition where everyone has and yet everyone still wants. We're going to really see God's love and sufficiency for us in these passages. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, And once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Last episode, we talked about how Jacob had to leave his home because of how he deceived his father and stole the blessing from Esau. But God was still with him and made sure that he knew that. And we spent much of our time talking about how involved God is with our lives here on this earth. So if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen. It's really good to see how much God cares about us and our everyday lives. This week we pick up after Jacob has left. So let's go ahead and start reading in Genesis 29. It says, So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where are you from? And they said, We're from Haran. And he said, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We do know him. And he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, We can't until all the flocks are gathered together, and they've rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass, when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, and embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him into his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. 
Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in to her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service, which you will serve me for still yet another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, so he gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went in to Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Okay, so let's stop right there. So Jacob comes upon this well, and it's very possible that it's the same well that Eliezer had found his mother for Isaac all those years before, because this is from the same family, so it should be around the same place. Now, as soon as he saw Rachel, it was love at first sight. He thought she was very beautiful. And so whenever he had lived with his uncle Laban for a month, Laban told him, there's no reason for you to be working for me for free. What do you want me to pay you? And he said, I want Rachel to be my wife. And then notice in verse 20, it says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and it seemed like only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. That's just so sweet because he didn't mind working all that time just for her because he loved her that much. Now, if you remember back to last week, how Jacob had to leave his home because he had deceived his father. After leaving, God comes to him and gives him the covenant that he had given to Abraham. And it really doesn't seem like he has much punishment for what he did in his deceit. But if you notice now, it's all coming back to bite him because now he's the one getting tricked. Whenever it came time for him to marry Rachel, Laban gave him Leah instead. Now, this is hard for us to understand. How in the world do you not know who you marry? But you have to keep in mind that the women would have had a veil on and the lights would have been dimmed. And then also, maybe he had been drinking too much to really realize what was going on by the time that he actually married Leah. We don't really know. But whatever it was, he doesn't realize until the very next morning that he's married the wrong person. And he was understandably angry. And then when he asked Laban about it, Laban gave him, you know, this excuse about, well, we really aren't supposed to be marrying the younger sister before the older. And so, you know, maybe he thought that Leah would be married within that seven year frame. And since she wasn't, then he did that. We're not really sure, but he did tell Jacob that he would give him Rachel if he would work another seven years for him. 
and if he would also just spend at least the first week with just Leah. And so because Jacob loved Rachel so much, he agreed to do this and work another seven years in order to have Rachel as his wife too. Now, honestly, you just have to wonder what was going through Laban's head because he acts as if he was doing this to be helpful to Leah because he wanted to make sure that she had a husband. But he just started a rivalry between his two daughters that was going to last for years and was just hard on everyone that was involved. Because God set marriage up to be, you know, between one man and one woman, adding another woman into the mix is a recipe for disaster. And on top of that, the sister, there's just no way that's ever going to turn out okay. It's going to be hard nonetheless, because yes, Leah has a husband where maybe she wasn't going to have one before, but he didn't love her. And then if you'll notice in verse 31, it says that when God saw that Leah wasn't loved by Jacob, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So in order to, you know, even the score up a little bit, God allows Leah to have children and Rachel doesn't. And so Rachel has a husband that loves her, but she didn't have any kids. And then Jacob has the wife that he wants, but he also has another wife that he doesn't want. And he also had to work double the time that he intended just to get Rachel. And then also has this other wife who's in constant competition with the woman that he loves. So, you know, again, if it seems like Jacob got away with deceiving his father all those years earlier, it doesn't seem like he did because he kind of got a dose of his own medicine here. I don't think that deception is ever without its consequences. And we'll see that later for Laban also. Okay, so let's keep reading and see what happens after Leah gets pregnant and Rachel doesn't. Genesis twenty nine thirty two. It says, So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. And then she stopped bearing. Now, beginning in chapter 30. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I'll die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? So she said, Here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear children on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife. And Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings I've wrestled with my sister, and indeed I've prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing children, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, A troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. And so she called his name Asher. Okay, so let's stop right there. 
So by allowing Leah to have children, God joined her to Jacob in a way that he wasn't joined with Rachel. And so she was able to give him something that Rachel wasn't able to give him. And that kept him from casting her aside for the wife that he did love. This just shows us how fair God is and how much he takes care of all of us because he gave Rachel a man that loved her and he gave Leah children and he didn't allow either one of them to have all things. So both of them were cared about by Jacob. And so Rachel had Jacob's love and Leah had his children. Now notice that Leah gave credit to God for her children through the names that she gave them. And so we're just going to look at that real quick because names had great significance back then. So notice when she names Reuben, the very firstborn, she says that the Lord has surely looked upon her affliction. And so we can see that she's giving God the credit for him allowing her to get pregnant. And the name means sees. And so we see that she's acknowledging that God saw her and gave her this son. Now, then the next son that she has, she says, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved. And so she calls his name Simeon, which means to listen. And then the third son that she has, she says, now, this time, my husband must become attached to me because I've given him three sons. And so Levi's name means attached. And the tribe of Levi becomes the priests, which are the ones that are attached to God, that are set apart just to serve him. And so these names don't just have meaning in the moment. God uses them later. The name Judah, she says, now I praise the Lord. And so Judah's name means praised. And Judah is the tribe that Jesus comes from, the one that all of us will praise. And then also notice that Jacob acknowledges that God's the one in charge of who has children and who doesn't. Because whenever Rachel goes to her husband and says, hey, give me kids or I'm going to die. He says, "Um, wait a minute. I'm not in charge of that. God is the one in charge of conception, not me. And he's the only one that has the power to give you a child. And so he is, for some reason, choosing to withhold children from you at this time. And so that's just something for us to take note of. We've talked about it other times, but I want to make sure that we always touch on it because God is always the one that is in charge of conception. And so when someone gets pregnant and it, it was not planned or someone does not get pregnant whenever it was planned, both of those are of God. That has nothing to do with us because every sexual act does not produce a child, only the ones that God chooses. And so a child that may be unplanned to us is not unplanned to God. And a child that we want badly doesn't always come if it's not God's will in his time. And so Jacob is acknowledging, hey, God is withholding a child from you for some reason. And so once he brings this to her attention, she says, okay, I don't know why that is, but I'm going to just give you my maidservant and maybe you can have children through her. And so this should remind us of the same situation with Sarah because Sarah was also unable to have children and also gave her maidservant to Abraham in order that she might have a child through her. And then whenever her maidservant got pregnant, she goes to Abraham frustrated with the situation and tells him to fix it, just the same way that Rebecca does to Jacob. 
But Jacob tells her, I have no control over this. And so once she gives Bilhah to him as a wife, Bilhah has two sons for him. And the first one's name is Dan, and it means to judge. And it says, God has judged my case. So Rachel's saying, God has judged my case and seen that I'm not having any children, and he's allowed me to have a child through my maidservant. And then the next child that she has, she names Naphtali. And she says, this one's name means wrestling. And she says, it's because I've wrestled with my sister and I'm becoming victorious that God's given me this child. And of course, once Leah realizes, okay, I'm not having any kids. And now Rachel's having some through her maidservant. I guess I'll give my maidservant to my husband. Then maybe I can have children through her. And so the first child that Zilpah has for Leah is named Gad, and that means good fortune or troops. And this is just Leah saying, okay, the troops are coming. You know, I'm still get, having more children than you are. And then the last child that Zilpah has for her is called Asher, and it says she is so happy because everyone's going to call her blessed. And so Asher's name means happiness. This is the reason that I said, if this was a reality show, your mom wouldn't let you watch it because this man has two wives. They're both sisters and they're having a competition to see who can have the most children to win the love of their husband. I mean, this is not an ideal situation, right? And then it gets even dicier. Listen to what happens beginning in verse 14. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. And she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I've surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he laid with her that night. And so God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I've given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, which means wages or payment. And then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will live with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun which means dwelling. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb and she conceived and bore a son and she said, God has taken away my reproach. And so she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. And so Joseph's name means multiplication or fruitfulness. So let's talk about this story a little bit about the mandrake. Y'all go look up what a mandrake looks like. Just look it up on the internet and see a picture of it because it looks like a woman. The roots look like legs. This was basically considered a fertility drug. And so whoever ate them was supposed to become very fertile. And that's the reason that Rachel wanted it so much. And so Leah's son, Reuben, found these mandrakes But Rachel wanted them because she wanted to be fertile and capable of having a child. But coincidentally, the way that she had to get these mandrakes is to give Leah to him that evening. 
And when she does that, when she gives Leah to him, then Leah becomes pregnant because Leah is the one that has slept with him. And so even though maybe she is fertile, it doesn't really matter because she's not the one that's with him at the moment. And so Leah has a son and she names him Issachar. And she thinks that she's being blessed because she has given the mandrakes to Rachel. And then they must not have made Rachel too fertile because Leah has even another son before Rachel does. And she names his name Zebulun because she says, maybe now my husband will live with me. She just continues to think, you know, every time that she has a child for him, well, now this is going to be the thing that makes him love me. This is going to be the thing. And it just never is. Now, I want you to also notice that it says she also had a daughter and named her Dinah. She very well could have had other daughters, and so could Rachel have, because daughters are not generally listed, since normally the purpose of listing the children is for the genealogy. The only time that women are usually listed is when they are going to be important to another narrative. And Dinah becomes important later on in Jacob's life. And so that's the reason that we hear about her. But there could have been other sisters. And then notice that finally God allows Rachel to have a child of her own. And she says that God's taken her reproach away. She has no more shame because back then it was shameful. If you couldn't have a child of your own, then there was something wrong with you. There was a reason that God was withholding that from you. And so it was a thing that carried a dishonorable name for the women. And notice that she names him multiplication or fruitfulness because it's showing, first of all, that God has made her fruitful. And then she says, may God add to me another son. And so now she's like, you know, if you can make me pregnant once, I know you can do it again. And so she's showing her faith and trust in God by naming him this also. Okay, so that's all we're going to read today. You know, this was kind of just a crazy story and really somewhat entertaining if you don't happen to be one of these women. But now I want us to talk about what this means for us. So let's compare these two women for a moment. The love that Jacob had for Rachel is what every woman wants, right? He was willing to wait seven years for her. He was willing to sacrifice in his work for her. He loved her even when the circumstances were bad and even when she wasn't able to meet his needs. He had a complete, sacrificial, unconditional love for her. That's what everyone wants, right? And then Leah, on the flip side, her lack of love is every woman's nightmare because not only does he not love her, but he loves someone else and she happens to be his sister. And then he stays with her, which is kind, but he's just staying out of duty, right? He he cares about her. He doesn't want to hurt her and he's being responsible, but he's not staying with her because he loves her. And even though, yes, it's wonderful to have a man that is responsible and will do the right thing, it doesn't feel good to have a man stay with you just because he's supposed to. And then lastly, it never matters how much she does. It's never enough. She cannot ever do enough to gain his love. No matter how many children she has, she has six sons, one daughter of her own, and two sons by her maidservant for him. And it it never matters. It's never enough. 
He's never attached to her. He never wants to live with her. He never has the love for her that he has for Rachel. And it doesn't matter what she does. And so if you happen to be unmarried right now and you're listening to this, pray for a spouse that feels like this about you. For a man that loves you so much that he's willing to wait however long he has to and work however hard he has to in order to have you. A man that will love you unconditionally, no matter if you are able to meet his needs or not. You know, this is the kind of love that all of us are supposed to have. But God specifically talks to the husbands about loving their wives sacrificially as Jesus loves us. And so we all should be willing to sacrifice for the ones that we love. But men especially are called to love their wives sacrificially. And then, you know, none of us are going to meet each other's needs all of the time. It's just not going to happen. And yet God loves us unconditionally. He loves us even whenever we have nothing to offer him. And so we're also supposed to love in that way with no conditions. It doesn't matter what the other person does or does not do. We love them anyway. And so we all need to strive to love our spouses in that way. If we're married and if we're unmarried, we need to seek a spouse like that and prepare ourselves to love our spouses in that way with that action, not just a feeling, but with action that shows our love for them with patience and sacrifice and unconditional love. Now, if you happen to be unmarried and you're lonely or you are married but you do not feel loved by your spouse, then take comfort in what God does for Leah. Know that God can meet your needs whenever your spouse does not, just as he did for Leah. It's a horrible place to be. It really, really is a horrible place to be, to be in a marriage where you feel that you're not being loved at all or in the way that you want to be. And today, people would just tell you, well, if he doesn't love you, he doesn't want you. You don't want him to stay out of duty. You just need to tell him to go. You just need to leave. You need to find someone that loves you. But that's not God's way. And it shows us that here. Now, it's also not God's intent that we marry two people and we see the repercussions of that. But once they were married, it would have been wrong for Jacob to dismiss Leah because she would have then been tainted and never been able to be married by anyone else because he had already slept with her by the time that he realized that she was not Rachel. And so it was right for him to stay with her. And it was right for her to continue to be with him and be a good wife to him. That is what God wants, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whether we marry the wrong person as Jacob did, or we feel unloved as Leah did. In God's eyes, there's still no justification for divorce because once God has joined us together, he chooses that we do not separate ourselves. He tells us that several places in his word. It says that God hates divorce. Because he designed it to be forever. He designed it to be where we become one. And once you are one, you can't separate one. Once you're joined, if you try to separate yourselves, then you're always going to be pulling some of that other person with you and leaving some of yourself behind. 
because there's no way to make a clean break. No way to separate yourselves completely once God has joined us together. And so instead, if we find ourselves in that position, as opposed to doing what the world says and getting a divorce, separating ourselves from our spouse, then what we need to do is we need to take comfort in knowing that God can meet the needs that our spouse does not. He proved this through Leah because he gave Leah all of these children. He continued to give Jacob a reason to go back to Leah so that she wasn't lonely. And he compensated her with all of these children. And probably anyone that has been married for any length of time has at some point felt like their spouse does not meet their needs, does not give them everything that they want in this marriage. And so even if you don't just completely feel unloved, I need you to know that God can supply us with the things that our spouse does not, if we will only ask him. And so I want to read you a few verses that talk about this. The first one's found in Psalm 68, 5 and 6. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. So that says that if we are orphans, then God is our father. And if we have no husband, then he is our defender. And then look what it says in verse 6. God sets the solitary in families. So if you are alone, if you have no husband, he can give you a family. He can give you a husband. He can give you children. He doesn't do that for every person, but he can. Those that are alone, he can give families to them. The next one's found in Psalm 146, 9. It says, The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and the widow. So again, he will relieve you if you have no husband. Jeremiah 31, 3. This is so great. If we don't have love from our spouse, listen to what God has for us. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. So God loves us with an everlasting love, and he draws us to him with his loving kindness. If we are not loved by someone on this earth that we feel like should love us, we always have the love of the Father in heaven. Now, this is the last one, and this is my very favorite, so I saved it for last. Isaiah 54, 4 through 6. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit like a youthful wife when she was refused, says your God. Now, this is talking to the whole nation of Israel and not to a woman specifically. But then it compares them to a woman, to a widow. And it says, you won't remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore because God is your husband. So God can be all things to us. And it says, like a woman that has been forsaken, a wife that was refused. The Lord calls us to himself. And so whenever we feel like that, whenever we feel like we've been forsaken or refused 
Or maybe we have a husband, but we feel like a widow. We feel like we don't have anyone. God is the one that's there for us. And so I just want to leave you with that today. I want to leave you with the understanding that God can be all things to us that we need. No person can completely meet our needs, but God can meet every single need and he can meet it so abundantly. He can give us more than we've ever even asked for. Listen to this verse in Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. God can do more for us than we can even ask of him, more than we can even imagine that he can do. Abundantly above anything that a person can do for us. And so it is lonely and it is hard whenever a person here on this earth that's supposed to love us or meet our needs in some way does not do it. But we all have a God that does do that. And he does it in such a better way than any person could ever do. And so if you are lonely today, if you feel forsaken, if you are married and feel unloved, or if your husband has since passed, and you are lonely, know that God can meet your needs and that he does love us sacrificially, patiently, unconditionally, and he is able to meet every single need that we have. So there's never reason for us to feel complete and total despair because we always have hope in him. We always have comfort in him. We always have love in him. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what happens when he's worked for his two wives and now he begins to work for Laban for wages. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Thanks. Have a good day.